0: Hello. We're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program.
1: The prophets also spoke of things that would take thousands of years to be fulfilled. This is actually a, a really special thought for us today who think that everything God's going to do in the world is going to happen in our generation. Maybe we need to get our noses out of our navel and begin to realize that God might want to use us to touch a future generation.
0: When someone tells us a story, one of the first things we do is run it past our internal scanners to work out whether or not what we're hearing is likely to be true. It's not a new thing for the length of human history, we've tested information for accuracy. The Bible contains many stories, some of which are quite extraordinary. Some are accounts of what God himself had told people. How do we know that the people who recorded the stories are not making them up? how do we handle the words of a prophet? Good questions. Dr. Corbett is continuing in his series, The Eight Greatest Stories in the Bible. Let's join him tonight for the true story of 17 people who each heard God speak to them.
1: A part of what we're doing right now in our service, this this part of our service, is that part where it's my hope that we can edify you and we can be a part of the equipping and the training of you and one of the things that we are going to, to continue to do today is to teach God's word in a way that we get the big picture. I wanted to um, use some dice today but we, I, I wanted 40 dice and we, don't ha- we only have two in our Yahtzee box which someone's borrowed so we haven't even got two so, but I wanted to demonstrate what what the odds would be if I took 40 dice, gave you all a pad and, and pen and asked you to write down the exact number on each of those dice, could you know, what, what would be the chances of figuring out in sequential order the numbers that would land on each dice? The answer would be Buckley's. Um, so you've got, 40, you've got 40 dice with six variables That's a a lot of zeros when you look at the numbers in that. So I'm going to refer to that in a moment. So just be aware of that. So we're looking at the Bible as a, a collection of stories that is actually making and comprising one story, one complete story. This is a really important distinction between the Bible and any other religious holy book. The Bible is the only book that is comprised of a story. Now that, that would astound people who A, never read it and B, never read anything else like uh, the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita or something like that to realise that the Bible is actually a story and it's verifiable as well. That's why we're, we're calling it a, a true story. So this is why we would say the Bible is actually unique. It's unique among the world's religious holy books. It actually is unique in its claims it's, it's claims firstly that it actually claims to be the Word of God now you might think well so does the Quran no not necessarily so does the Hindu Vedas no not necessarily so does the Buddhist uh, documents no they don't the Bible actually also claims to be true so we have in 2nd Samuel chapter 7 verse 28 and now O Lord God you are God and your words are true you have promised this good thing to your servants. This is David responding to the prophet Nathan. Psalm 18 verse 30, This God, his way is perfect, the word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in him. And Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5, Every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. So the word of God claims to be true. The Bible also claims to be not just words on a page. It claims to be spirit and life. It claims that it can actually do something to your soul. It can speak to you. It can be quite weird how it can do that. And I mean weird in a really positive way. And the Bible also claims to bring a blessing to those who read it. In numerous places it promises this. So Luke chapter 11 verse 28. Jesus said this but he and the he is jesus blessed rather are those who hear the word of god and keep it so there's a blessing in heeding hearing and heeding the word of god there's a blessing that comes from it this makes the bible absolutely unique it's something that harry potter books cannot do something that lord of the rings books can't do and it's something that the chronicles of narnia can't do the bible is Unique. How did we come to have the Bible? How is it that we have 66 books in the Bible? How is it that the Bible is comprised of the older part and the newer part called covenants? And when they're written down they're called testaments. How did that happen? How did we get this thing called the Bible? And how do you, how do you know what I've just said is, is actually the case? Here's a big... Like the Bible itself gives us a clue as to how it came to be in Exodus chapter 34 we we read of Moses and it says the Lord said to Moses write these words write these words for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel so there were times when people were instructed to write things down but there are other times and we read this in the Bible itself when for example Proverbs 25 it says these are the proverbs of Hezekiah collected by the men of... Ah, so the the Bible's comprised of editors. editors, God used editors and collators to bring the Bible together and I think that's a really important thing to appreciate that it's not that a person had the gift of Bible writing it's that God used a person and often used people so for example the first five books of the Bible we would largely claim and and attribute those to Moses but Moses couldn't have written it all there must have been an editor because it describes how he died that's very difficult to write the description of your own death and we have another thing in there where it says and Moses was the meekest man on earth if he wrote that he's not so so we see that there's there's obviously the fact that God used people to, to put his word together editors or co- editors actually do the work of collating don't they so that that's where we're at so this series so when we when we get that we see God used people he used people he used people and in one sense this is the written word of God and the written word of God reveals the living word of God and in the same sense Jesus is the living word of God he's fully human But he's fully God as well and this is fully the product of people, not a surprise, but it's fully the product of God as well. Now that's where you might go, well I don't understand that. And that's okay but when when there are certain things in life we need to appreciate or apprehend without necessarily comprehending them. So for example, you know that if, and please do not do this but if you stuck a fork in a PowerPoint, you know what would happen. Does anyone understand how the electro-circuit of the human biosystem conflicts with the, the, the hertz of electricity? There might be three people in the room that do, but the rest of us haven't got a clue. But we don't need to have a clue, do we? We don't need to know. We just know that it wouldn't be good. In fact, it would be shocking. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, stop it, stop it. You're just encouraging me. All right, so, this, so now we're going to look at the eight greatest true stories in the Bible. And we're up to number five today as we, as we look at this story. And I, I, this is one of the largest sections that we're looking at. And, and I've, what I've done is I, it's called the 17 people who each heard from God. They each heard God speak to them. That's an amazing claim. In fact, I'm sure that there are people uh, in uh, Charles Street, the top end of Charles Street right now, in the level one, who also claim that, that they hear from God. So what makes us think that these people actually did hear from God? Well, one of the things that would give us pause for thought is that everything that they said would happen actually did happen. That's the first thing. They could actually forecast the future as we'll see in a moment and without exception it all happened. This is pretty amazing. They, they also claim to have special knowledge of things that no one could have known, only the person involved. And that's, that's where you get into the weird zone. And these people claimed that God had spoken to them and these are some of the things that they did. So as we look at these people, these prophets, I, I think we need to appreciate that the, the first half of our Bible, as I mentioned, is the older part of the Bible. It's actually called the Old Testament. A testament is a written record and, it, and this records the, the agreement between God and people. That's called a covenant. And it's divided into four divisions. Jesus referred to three of them and we actually split one of those. But those four divisions are history, Law, poetry, and prophets. There will be an exam on this before you leave, so just make sure you take note of that. History? No, there won't. History. (laughs) I realize there are visitors going. You have exams in this church? What it's going? History, law, poetry, and that word poetry is synonym for psalms. And if you know anything about the book, right in the middle of the Bible, it's comprised of 150 chapters. They are poems, so poetry, psalms, and the prophets. So these are the four divisions. Uh, We break up history and law. Jesus lumped them together and called them law. So we see this in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you and everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets And the Psalms must be fulfilled so Jesus is referring to these divisions that we've just alluded to so this is what I think we need to know about the prophets firstly they were really weird generally they were really really weird people really weird people these are people that actually heard from God and acted as his intermediaries that meant that the traffic through a prophet flowed both ways God spoke to them they spoke to people but people spoke to the prophet and the prophet spoke to God as well and we see books like the book of Habakkuk is essentially that flow of traffic so these prophets had a pretty high standard if you claimed to be a prophet and you weren't and you were just making it up you were at risk of losing your life that's how serious the people in the old covenant times were took this thing when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord if the word does not come to pass or come true that is a word that the Lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously you need not be afraid of him and later on it, it goes on and says that prophet deserves that person claiming to be a prophet deserves to die so you didn't just quickly take upon yourself the idea that you were a prophet there were prophets who spoke and that's all they did they spoke rather than wrote but there were prophets who wrote and didn't speak that much for example jeremiah in the early days of his prophetic role he spoke he was rejected he couldn't come into the city to give his prophetic words for fear of losing his life and so he wrote them down and thank god he did now we have the record of them so there were prophets who were oral prophets They spoke and there were prophets who were writing prophets. Prophets did these three things. Firstly, they foretold, they predicted things. Sometimes they predicted things that would take place within two weeks. Sometimes they predicted things that would take place in a handful of years. Sometimes they did things that would take hundreds of years to be fulfilled and we have good reason to believe that the prophets also spoke of things that would take thousands of years to be fulfilled this is actually a a really special thought for us today who think that everything God's going to do in the world is going to happen in our generation maybe we need to get our noses out of our navel and begin to realize that God might want to use us to touch a future generation. Yeah, that went down well. Prophets also forth things. They declared things. They spoke forth what was right. They declared things. And thirdly, prophets interceded. That was a part of their role. It was, they, they were prayers. They interceded. How did God use these prophets? What was, what was the main thing that he did well if we look at each of those things the foretelling and this is where if I had the dice I would have used the dice but the reject shop didn't sell them Woolworths didn't sell them we couldn't get any so we're just going to have to imagine the rolling of the dice all right imagine this I've got two air dice I roll them on the table oh yeah sorry I'll pick them back up just pretend I could bend down there and pick it up (laughs) and I'm just I'm shaking them shaking them blow on them Roll them. All right, give me two numbers. Six and four, two and five, one and eight. Eight! <laughs> that explains how I always lose in Yahtzee, I'm telling you. It's another option, just two, two numbers from the dice. Two and, oh, one and two. one and two. One and two rather than one and eight. All right, well, you're all wrong. It actually landed on six and six. But I'm going to give you another chance what if I had another pair of dice and I rolled those two numbers three and four you're wrong it's six and six (laughs) what if I did it again now does anyone think hang on a minute but what if I did it another three times what would you think loaded dice. You would think this is rigged. Something's going on here. And this is these these odds have a lo- the chances of actually doing that is 1 in and there's about 17 zeros. The chance of doing that is so incredibly remote that you would have to think something's going on here. And what I want to do in a moment is show you that in just one chapter of just one of the prophets these are the kinds of odds we're dealing with as to whether they could be right by simple guesswork. And you would have to conclude, I believe, there's no way this could just be simple guesswork. But here's what the prophets did. So let's, I'm going to move to the fourth telling bit now. So that was foretelling. We'll come back to that point in a moment. The fourth telling God used the prophets to call his people to come back to honour. Him and to honour the covenant that they'd made with him a covenant is an agreement a covenant is where two people surrender to each other I give my life to you they you give your life to me that's that's the essence of a marriage that's what marriage is all about a covenant when parents present their child and they covenant before God we give ourselves to you we dedicate ourselves to you to raise our child in the ways of the Lord there's a covenant an agreement and the people of Israel who had formed that covenant with God, had broken that covenant. And God sent prophets. And the expression that we read through the prophets is either expressions like this, I persistently sent them. Or the old expression, the Hebraism, the idiom, is I sent prophets rising early in the morning. In other words, I I was quick to send them. Jeremiah says it this way, Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. That's just an example. The prophets re- repeat this over and over. Well, let's come back to my dice analogy, the, the foretelling bit. If if I had the time, I would I'd maybe look at the book of Habakkuk, where where he is, is an unusual prophet because yes, he makes a prediction about what the future looks like, and it looked like the Babylonians, the Chaldeans coming in and destroying uh, Israel. And then he prays and the book of Habakkuk is is essentially the prayer of the prophet. But let's come back to the foretelling what's going to happen. Here's a a guy who uh, is pretty clever. His name's Professor Peter Stoner. And Professor Peter Stoner was the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College until 1953. He was chairman of the science division at Westmont College until 1957. He was professor emeritus of science at Westmont College, professor emeritus of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena City College. So he, he's got some creds when it comes to maths. So he says that the chances of, looking at the Bible, and this is what, what led him to become a convinced Christian, he says the chances of just eight prophecies as we'll we'll look at in a moment. Coming true by sheer chance is 1 in 10 to the power of 17. That's uh, a lot of zeros. That's, uh, I think it's at least 1 in 1 quadrillion. That would be equivalent, he says, to covering the whole state of Texas with silver dollars, two feet deep, then expecting a blindfolded man to walk across the state and on the very first try... Find the one coin that had been marked and picking it up that's the odds um, he says if if we add another eight prophecies or another eight things in the Bible, so that's a total now of sixteen prophecies, having those fulfilled with with sixteen details that's a a, a one uh, in ten to the power of twenty eight times ten to the power of seventeen in 10 to the power of 45, that's um, more zeros than I care to waste my time telling you about. It's, It's so remote as sheer chance, it can't be considered sheer chance. And we'll see why in a moment, when I go through some of these things, just how unlikely they would be if it was a mere guess. The prophet Amos, who was a farmer, And God called him to be a prophet, actually, when he was in his mother's womb, by the way. The Lord does nothing, he says, without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So these prophets were used by God to declare what God was about to do. So here's the story of the prophets. Ever since mankind had rebelled against God, the Creator, God had sought out and called different ones whose hearts sought him one of the earliest examples we have in the Bible is Enoch Enoch walked with God it says Enoch legend has it was a prophet who wrote things down and we actually have there is in Jewish tradition a book called the book of Enoch and Jude the half-brother of Jesus cites from it in his epistle Enoch is chapter 5 of Genesis, very, very early on. And we go through the book of Genesis, we see Abraham was called a prophet. But God used these prophets generally to summon such things as plagues, droughts, and even fire from heaven. Think of Elijah. To demonstrate his power... And his authority in calling people to obedience. Now, these prophets, God used these prophets, ordinary people, to stand before kings, to stand before pharaohs, to stand before emperors, to stand before high priests, the religious leaders of their day, and even to take on false prophets in fear of their life, they did it. Again, think of someone like Elijah. Again, summoning these people to obedience. Imagine that, challenging the religious leaders of the day to repent and become obedient to God. Some of these prophets began when they were old. Some of them began when they were very, very young. Very young. We think of Jeremiah. He would have been about 12 years of age. When God called him to prophesy his first prophecy. Isn't that amazing? At the age of 12. Some of them like Moses were 80 when they started. 80. Can you imagine God using an 80 year old? Imagine that. <laughs> Happy birthday. An 80 year old John. Pardon? Did I wake you up? <laughs> Not quite. I'm referring to two of our octogenarians, by the way. God used them. Just as a, by the way, I think we live in a culture now that thinks if you're over a certain age, you're of no use to anyone. What's the age that you're of no use to anyone, Ruby? Over how old is old? Over Over me. I think that started at uh, over 40 was sort of beyond over the hill but anyway. They, th- these prophets were rejected, mostly rejected if not entirely rejected, despised, mocked, ridiculed, murdered and even executed by orders of kings. In fact one of the saddest accounts of a prophet is Isaiah when he prophesied to Hezekiah, put your house in order you're going to die and Hezekiah turns to the Lord and says please Lord grant me more time and the prophet Isaiah hasn't even left the palace when God speaks to him and says go back and tell him I grant him another 15 years and in that 15 years King Hezekiah did more damage to the destiny of Israel than any other king possibly could and he gave birth to Manasseh. Manasseh when Hezekiah did die Manasseh could not stand Isaiah the prophet put him in an empty log a hollow log and ordered that his soldiers saw him in half his death is referred to in Hebrews chapter 11 some were sawn asunder it says so rarely were their messages heeded by those they summoned to repent so does anyone is anyone going gee I wish I was a prophet anyone queuing up to go geez that sounds like a great career heeded rarely was it heeded by those they summoned to repent And to be faithful to their covenant with God. But here's the thing. While all this was going on with these prophets, they all were were throwing out a golden thread. And the golden thread was about one person yet to come. One person to come. With each successive prophet, the Spirit of God who filled each of them, increasingly spoke of the coming Messiah, which means anointed one, the Christ, who would bring a new covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31 and 33 when Jeremiah was at his lowest point when he was utterly despondent with the fact that the people were rejecting him God got him to prophesy but Jeremiah I'm going to establish a new covenant with the Messiah and Jeremiah began to see a bigger picture beyond his own generation and here's what the prophet said about this person he the Messiah, the Christ, which means the anointed one, would be born of a virgin girl. What? Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the prophet Isaiah in 750 BC, 750 years before Christ BC. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Tells you his identity as well. He was to be born and the prophets named the town Bethlehem which you might think well that's that's a tourist mecca of course they would name a prominent tourist mecca it wasn't a tourist mecca it's a tiny pokey little town in the middle of nowhere the town of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 but you O Bethlehem Ephratah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah for you from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old from ancient days that also tells us the identity of the coming Christ he existed before he was born he would be a descendant of Jesse who was the father of King David and he was also a descendant through that line the line of David he would be known as the son of David The prophet Isaiah again 750 BC speaking of this one said there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch note that branch Hebrew word Nazar which is what it says in Matthew chapter 1 when he moved to Nazareth Matthew tells us the prophets told us he would be called a Nazarene from that word Nazar by the way from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him this is an unusual guy that was coming he goes on in chapter 11 Isaiah in that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious no ordinary person but this is what the prophets saw and we read in First and Second Peter, that the prophets wrote what they didn't understand because if the coming glorious one, the one whose days are from old, the one who is from ancient times, the one who is all glorious would come, surely he would be a military leader who would kick out all foes and all would be right again. But no, the prophets saw and they questioned, what are you showing us God? He would be rejected, he would be despised by his own countrymen the prophets said and it says in Isaiah 53 verse 3 he was despised and this is interesting prophecy because the prophet Isaiah is writing this event yet to take place 750 years into the future as if it's already happened he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not and John tells us this fulfilling that prophecy of Isaiah he came to his own and his own people did not receive him John chapter 1 verse 11 the prophet said that he would be betrayed by one of his closest friends for 30 pieces of silver so we read in Zechariah around 375 to 400 BC uh, sorry we'll, we'll read the Psalms first this is Psalm Uh, of david psalm 41 verse 9 so this is uh, about 1100 bc even my choice friend in whom i trusted who ate bread who ate my bread and lifted his heel has lifted his heel against me and here's the zechariah one then i said to them if it seems good to you give me my wages this is speaking of judas iscariot but if not keep them And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver, which is what they gave to Judas. And it goes on and says, Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter, which is exactly what the scribes and Pharisees did when Judas returned the 30 pieces. They bought the potter's field. The prophets foresaw that the Messiah would be mocked All who see me, it says in Psalm 22 verses 7 and 8, mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. was the prophecy of what would happen to Christ as he was being taken to the cross. And the prophets foretold that the Messiah, the Christ, would be crucified. Something unheard of in 750 B.C when these prophecies began and it says in John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 and, and this is a prophecy because Jesus says right near the start of his ministry this is how I'm going to die and by the way we often can recite John three sixteen. this is the verse immediately before it and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then it goes on, for God so loved the world. But note that, how is the means by which God so loved the world? By Christ being lifted up on a pole that was in the shape of a cross. That was what Moses had to lift up and he had to have a bronze serpent on it, which was a picture of the very thing that was causing them death. And I've seen people claim this is a, you know the, the, that is actually the symbol of of the medical fraternity. And I've heard people say, oh, the medical fraternity is inside with Satan. I think you don't know your Bible, do you? This was a picture of how Christ, how God got victory over the enemy's strategy to harm people. And it's a picture of Christ. So they prophesied this. He would be pierced, the prophets said. In Psalm 22, Verse 16, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This is David, 1100 BC, writing this. This is Isaiah, 750 BC. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Those wounds on the cross... And there are some people who wonder, why did Christ have to die? And we'll we'll look at this next week. But here's why he had to die. He had to die as our substitute. The, 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 The only person qualified to die for all of mankind was the head of mankind. The one who was the first. Remember Adam, when he was first, he was without sin in that state. And so Christ had to come and be without sin as the new head of the human race to die as our federal head. He paid the price for every human being. That's what happened and the prophets foretold this. He would die with the wicked, we know he was, between two thieves and then his body would be laid in the tomb of a rich man, a rich man's tomb. And they made, this is the prophet Isaiah, 750 BC, Isaiah 53 verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth so he was sinless when he died for the sins of mankind by the way some people have said these prophecies are so uncanny they must have been written after the event then in 1948 a shepherd boy wandering around the the wilderness went into the caves of Qumran and discovered these earthenware pots about so high sealed with pitch like tar at the top and took them out and they were scrolls written by the Qumran community some 300 BC and they were copies of these prophecies proving that Isaiah a existed b that he wrote this down when scholars know he wrote this down that's just by the way the Dead Sea Scrolls are considered one of the greatest archaeological finds in the history of mankind the prophets also foretold that he would rise from the dead Isaiah 53 verse 10 Yet. It was the will of God to crush him and he, he has put him to grief. And he did that for us. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, note what shall happen after he's paid the price for sin. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. But hang on a minute, he was killed. He comes back to life. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And after rising from the dead... He would later ascend, the prophets said, and return to heaven. So in Psalm 68, verse 18, it says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. And this is cited by Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Everything, everything that the prophets said would happen to Christ, to him, And that he would accomplish, he did. But, listen to this, there remains yet more to be fulfilled that the prophets also foretold about Christ and what he would do. For example, the last half of Psalm 22. So now, as the worship team comes back, we are going to have an item, but I want to, just in this moment, I want to remind you that what we've just looked at gives us great confidence that this book, the Bible, is indeed God's word. These prophetic writings fulfilled so uncannily could only have been fulfilled if God, who claimed to be the author, actually was the author. The dice that I mentioned before, those sets of dice, just Isaiah 53 has... Uh, I count some 16 details in it, exactly what Professor Stoner said is impossible for all of those details to be fulfilled by mere chance. So the Bible gives us great confidence to believe that it is indeed the Word of God. Our team are going to give an item in a moment. I just want to pray. Can we just pray? Father, for those perhaps who've now heard something perhaps they've never heard before and why we can be confident that the bible really is your your word and that father it offers us the way of escape it offers us a new life beyond this life it offers us the opportunity to find a life that is so much better than this a life that we can begin to live right now by handing over our sin guilt and shame to you God and accepting your pardon because you've sent Jesus to earn that pardon and to give it to us and if you've never had that sense of being forgiven by God if you battle with sin, you battle with guilt, you battle with shame maybe you're addicted to pornography maybe you're doing things that you're so ashamed of you don't want anyone to know I'm here today to tell you that Jesus died for that for you and you can be forgiven in this moment you are not a million miles away from God You are just one prayer away, a prayer that simply says, God, please forgive me. I'm sorry for what I've done to you. Please come into my life and help me to live now for you. You pray a prayer like that, I guarantee you, your life will be different from this day forward and beyond the grave. So Father, I pray that we might know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's enjoy this item from our bed. Thank you, guys.
0: As we've heard tonight, the chance of even eight prophecies coming true by sheer chance is one in ten to the power of 17. In other words, chance had nothing to do with those prophecies coming true. The Bible isn't made up of fictional accounts. The Bible is a great true story. More from Dr. Corbett next week, the true story of a man who changed the world. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.